I was thinking about stretching the sermon tonight into about an hour and a half just to see how well you had listened and gained patience in the process. But I will try to uh, forego that test and allow the Lord to providentially bring those into your life. I don't need to do that in addition to it. Last week when we were at the uh, General Assembly, God did provide an illustration for me, though, uh, this, for this sermon specifically. We got to the hotel about after a 10-hour drive. We were tired. <clears throat> it was hot. And we were told that we needed to wait to check in. Okay, so we decided we waited. Uh, that took about two hours while we were waiting. And in the process, they said, well, go ahead and sign up on a list uh, for those who are waiting. And we think, well, that's kind of weird. We have a reservation. Uh, and so, but we, okay, we'll do what you ask us to do. We signed up on a list. No word. They said, we'll call you when your room is ready. We started hearing rumors. They don't have enough rooms. We thought, well, we booked, like, the day it was open, we booked a reservation. So those of you who are Seinfeld fans understand the holding of the reservation. Uh, well, they didn't hold it. We went to dinner, and by the time we got back, we finally we went up and said, okay, where's our room? It's kind of late. We'd like to check in. And they said, oh, well, we don't have a room for you this evening. And so uh, <clears throat> we said, but they did. They very nicely got us another room. We said, we have a room for you at another hotel. Okay, uh, well, we'll just walk next door to it. No, you won't. You'll walk a mile away. <clears throat> or you'll take a taxi or whatever to get to this hotel that's a mile away. Now, did I get angry? Let me report. I can say this in complete honesty. I did not. And why didn't I? <clears throat> because I've been preparing the sermon. <laughs> so the Lord graciously brought some of the applications that I'm going to share with you later. <clears throat> the Lord brought these to mind. I went, well, that wasn't so bad. And we went off to our hotel. I wish I could say that was the case in all uh, trials of patience, but uh, there we go. Let's ask the Lord's blessing as we prepare to hear on this uh, Lord, the uh, fruit of the spirit of long suffering. Father, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your willingness to continue to persevere, to purge us of those sinful thoughts and deeds and habits, and to conform us to the image of Christ. That is your gift to us. We confess that we often fight that. We pray, Father, that your spirit would enliven that hunger to be more like Christ and help us to endeavor after obedience and righteousness for your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin by asking the question, what is patience? There's a couple of Greek words that are used for the word translated patience in the New Testament. One of them is hupomene, and that means remaining under. For example, to remain under a burden. Picture a guy who's got a huge burden on his back. Think of like Pilgrim and Pilgrim's Progress. And he remains under the burden as he just continues to walk like that. Sometimes that's translated perseverance. <clears throat> we see the word employed by the Lord in the parable of the sower when he says, But the ones that fell on good ground, that's the seeds, and are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. They remain under. A second word is macrothumia. Uh, it's our word for patience out of uh, Galatians 5 that we're looking at today. This combines two words that mean uh, the two words long and suffer. That ends the word long suffering that you see in the text. 
For our purposes, our working definition is going to be the one that's printed in your bulletin tonight. Again, I had this printed so that you wouldn't have to try to write it down. Uh, this is the way I'm going to describe it. Let's get of our working definition. Patience is learning obedient and joyful responses to the purposes of God as revealed in the daily outworking of his providences in our lives as he conforms us to the image of Christ. Now look at that again more carefully, slowly. Learning obedient and joyful responses to the purposes of God as revealed in the daily outworking of his providence in our lives as he conforms us to the image of Christ. Now looking at this definition, we see that patience then is not just a raw stoicism. Uh, It's not just muscling through a situation. It's a lot more than that. Even as we talked about this morning, peace is not just lack of conflict. It's something much greater, much richer than that. In the same way, patience is not just kind of just grinning and bearing it and getting through it. There's much more to it than that. It's not merely forbearance. It's a personal flourishing. It's a maturing of a Christian in the process of God's work. To understand patience or long-suffering, it's probably good to have an understanding of what anger is. There's other words that we could use as a kind of impatience. Let's think through this a little bit. What are the situations, uh, some of the situations we can see ourselves in that would produce anger? And that is, uh, to understand that, is we have to understand that there are situations in which we believe something should be other than what it is. And God has graced us, even pre-fall, with the emotion that energizes us to push through to that end. Uh, So we are going to understand that not all anger is sinful. I'm not going to talk about righteous anger tonight. I'm just talking about sinful anger, but let's understand that there is an appropriate uh, place for anger. You see somebody uh, hurting someone else and your, your adrenaline flows and, oh, I'm going to stop the injustice and you go and you do something about that. This could be a righteous anger, but we're not talking about that tonight. We're talking about sinful people, uh, us. Uh, we find times where our own agenda is blocked. Again, we're thinking of that as a kind of a blocked goal. We have something that we want to see happening, but it's being prevented. And so this anger wells up in us, and um, rather than reflecting on uh, whether our agenda is the appropriate one or not, we just push through it and say, I'm going to just make it happen the way I want it to happen. Sinful anger then erupts when we have our goals blocked, and we insist that our objective, our goals, whether it's a drive to Walmart or even having your quiet time uninterrupted, is not just preferable, but mandatory for our happiness. And there we see that now the transition begins to take place. We can desire all kinds of things that are just fine. They're they're good in and of themselves. But it's when we move from the place of saying, not just I want it, but I have to have it. If I don't have that, then I cannot be a happy person. Uh, This brings to mind, perhaps many of you have gone through my classes on the Peacemaker, where it talks about the four stages. I've described this with my kids, the four stages of desire, demand, judge, and punish. I desire something. I judge you to be the one that's keeping me from it. And so I have to punish you because my little, uh, whatever that thing is that I have to have, that little idol of mine that is my source of happiness, you're keeping me from it. And so I have to punish you because idols demand sacrifices. So I'll sacrifice you to get what I want, and so I have to punish you. And so you see that process, and it's a pretty interesting and helpful uh, way to understand it. It goes right back to the passage we saw this morning out of James 4. Where do wars and fights come from among you? 
Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Uh, the idea that as you have these desires, you have to have them. And then when, you, when those desires turn into a, a demand, I have to have it, uh, then now you've, you've moved into that area of a kind of idolatry and the sinful anger uh, that's going to erupt into uh, punishing others around you. Uh, what does sinful impatience look like? Well, there, you can think of impatience as being both externally demonstrated or internally uh, demonstrated. For example, internally or externally, we think of those with angry outbursts. They respond to these trials or these uh, blocked goals with uh, uh, outright anger attacks, verbal attacks. It could even be physical attacks. You think of road rage, uh, what's known in the secular world as intermittent explosive disorder. Uh, Whatever you want to name it, it's these outbursts that say, I'm going to force the situation to change and comply to what I want it to be. We can see it in revenge, lawsuits, even murder. There's also, though, an internal way of manifesting it. Uh, We, instead of acting outwardly towards that situation, you turn it inwards and you just sit there and you just seethe in it. It just works itself in you and you just go over it and over you massage it and you just keep thinking about it rolling it over and over in your mind and just plotting things i wish i hope i think i may i uh, and it just goes on and on of course this can lead ultimately to bitterness that's warned about in hebrews twelve fifteen. Uh, one of the words that's used in the bible i think is a good word is the word fretting uh, and that one is uh, we tend to think of fret as more worry, but I think it's got a little bit more of an anger uh, angle to it. We'll see this in Psalm 37 in just a moment, where we're going to see that used in the context of patience. But the idea of fretting, the idea is uh, being agitated. Long term, as I said, this, these kinds of things can, uh, can devolve into a kind of bitterness that just eats a person up. <clears throat> and the Lord warns us about that danger. We can see other words that uh, can come up in this context, arguments, conflict, dissension, backbiting, discouragement, revenge, all of these uh, can fit into this. We can even see them in some of the, uh, the fruit of the, the, the flesh that we saw earlier in the sermon series in uh, Galatians 5.19. What are the occasions that give rise to the need for patience? I think of two, if we were trying to think of categories of situations in which our anger arises. One is a fallen creation and the other one is fallen creatures. We live in a fallen creation and we live in the context of fallen creatures. Under the creation, we know that in Genesis 3.17, the, the ground was cursed. Now, remember, Jesus or God said, Curses the ground for your sake and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. The frustrations of weather and the conditions of the world are those that can give rise to those occasions where you become impatient, become angry. We read in Romans 8, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. Yeah, that's the world we live in. We live in a fallen, sin-cursed world where things don't go the way we plan. They wear down, they break, usually at the most inconvenient times. One of the reasons I don't like to go on vacation is because something breaks every time 
just happened yesterday. We're going on vacation this week. Something breaks yesterday. Okay. So this seems to happen every time. I'm sure it's, well, I know it's providential. All things are providential. Uh, these are my uh, ways of the uh, Lord working in me. Uh, so, well, we live in this world, as I said, crops don't come in, cars break, sickness occurs, dogs bite, bees sting, trees fall, earthquakes rumble, hurricanes spin, oceans rise. Cancer metastasizes. These things happen. And all of these are occasions that give rise to fretting or impatience. We ask, when will this be over? How many times have you asked that? By the way, you wouldn't be the first to ask that if you did. Uh, David asked for it. How long? Uh, And most of us have had that question. How long will this go on? And you just want to get it over with. We also see, and probably more typically, we find that our anger is challenged in situations where we are dealing with people. Uh, we see the effect of sin on other people and, with, and our interactions with them. We see all kinds of different people that can give rise to this. We have unruly people. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul writes, We exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. You have those that, are those that persecute God's people. Remember the word, Jesus said, remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Think of the cake baker in Colorado. How many times has he been sued now? Court case after court case after court case. There are those who hate the people of God, and they will uh, do everything they can to, to thwart that. There are the schemers. This is, I mentioned, uh, Psalm 37 and fretting, and, and Psalm 37, 7 Uh, The psalmist writes, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. So he says, you're going to have wicked men around you. They're going to have their agenda. And he says, don't fret because of that. Be patient. We have contentious people, people that just like to argue. Uh, We had this at the bowling alley the other night. We had our kids were playing around a little bit. They got a little bit rambunctious. And this guy next to us looks over and he says, if they don't stop it, there's going to be a problem. And I was like, well, hello. Uh, where are you from? <laughs> what? You know, the first thing he does is he does a threat. He doesn't say, hey, excuse me, uh, could you have the guys just be a little careful out there? It's a threat. And I thought, what's with that? Well, you run into people like that. Uh, perhaps you are one. Maybe I'm one. Uh, but we're going to run to contentious people. We read, as a matter of fact, you see in Galatians the same chapter here, same Context Galatians 5.26 that we don't have as part of our, our scripture reading, but 5.26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You see this contention that can come. We see in Ephesians 4 the call to, for long-suffering. Paul writes, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. People are selfish, they're self-serving, they're prejudiced, they're myopic, they're arrogant. Do we need to list more? And it comes from all kinds of people. It's not just certain kinds. Conflict can arise from the belligerent teenager, an overly protective parent or obnoxious neighbor, or you. But the mistake we make in all of these is when we begin, is when we begin to blame fallen creation or fallen creatures uh, as the problem. <clears throat> 
as, that, as if that's the issue. To think that the main goal for us is if we can just remove that situation, remove that person, we would be fine. I don't really have a problem with impatience. It's them. They're the ones. These are the things that are creating the situation in me. I'm not really the issue here. We're going to see that that's actually not the case. Christians should not ultimately then see trials as haphazard or circumstantial, but as providential. And that's going to be a big part of what will help us to deal with our struggles with impatience. We need to see God's providential working and plans for us in the smallest occurrences of life. And we're to respond not with tolerance, but actually with joy. Imagine that. And that can only happen for those who are possessed by the Holy Spirit and who are controlled by the Holy Spirit. James 1, a familiar passage. James says, a bondservant of of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. <clears throat> Greetings, my brethren. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So is this just mere tolerance? Is a mere forbearance? No, he says count it joy. Okay, so the bar now is moved from here to way up here. Uh, that we're to count it joy when we're uh, in these trials. Knowing what? That the testing of your faith produces patience. So he says, this is the very means by which you have, we, I know the joke we have about, please pray that the Lord would give me patience. And then we joke, okay, I'll pray for lots of trials. No, I just want patience without the trials. Well, you're not going to get them apart from the trials. This is how you learn it. And this is what James is saying. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all to all liberally, and without reproach it will be given to him. So we see the need for wisdom. We get in the situation, uh, if, we're, if we're impatient, it's probably because we're not thinking wisely. We're thinking in the, the spurt of the moment, the passions arise, and we just blurt out rather than thinking circumspectly and biblically. Again, remember our definition. Learning, uh, patience is learning obedience and joyful responses to the purposes of God as revealed in the daily outworking of his providence in our lives as he conforms us to the image of Christ. Now, it always helps to have some examples, and of course, we have any number of examples in Scripture. Uh, For example, we have one in just God himself. We saw that in the Scripture reading. Another one we see in uh, Romans. In Romans 2.4, we read a reference to God's patience, and the reader is warned about presuming upon God's patience. It says, "Or or or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Thank God that he forbears with us. Another reference in Romans 9.22, Paul is challenging the readers to reflect upon God's sovereign plan, and he writes uh, in verse 22, What if God, wanting to show his wrath and make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? We can look at any number of other passages, 1 Timothy and 1 Peter, 2 Peter 3. <clears throat> Lots of passages that talk about these examples of God's patience. We also have the example of the prophets in Scripture. <clears throat> these are men who suffered greatly as they brought the message of God uh, to, to God's people, telling them of impending judgment and only not to be met with, oh, well, thank you for telling us this. We're all going to repent. Now, that happened to Nineveh, but for a short time. But for most of them, it was not. Uh, They were met with persecution, mocking, beating, even imprisonment or torture. James tells us about this in James 5. He writes, therefore, be patient, brethren, 
until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. That's James, James 5, 7 through 10. He gives a reference to Job as well uh, in James 5, 11. He says, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end of intended, intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. We could add Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, and others, even Noah, as I said, who preached for 100 years and he had no converts. I imagine uh, with all the people scoffing at him, that would be occasion to, to become angry. Uh, but he uh, persevered. Now, why is patience important? One of the most helpful resources to answer that question is the book of Proverbs, and we can look at a lot of others. Proverbs shows, for example, the differences between people who are angry people and wrathful people and those who are patient and self-controlled. They are contrasted with each other, the anger and wrath being attributed to those who are the fools or the scoffers and those who are patient in the category of the wise, and certainly that would be a warning to us. Uh, to desire to be patient and to be among those who are wise. Proverbs 15, 18, the wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. Proverbs 14, 29, he who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. We have warnings in the New Testament about those who are not able to control their temper. Matthew 5, 22, Jesus says, I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. That's pretty scary language right there. James writes again in James 1.19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When you come to faith in Christ and you uh, respond in repentance, you come not just, as we say, for fire insurance, just to be, I just want to be saved and I'm going to go on about my life. What did you sign up for? You signed up to, to become like Christ. You have a desire to be conformed to the image of Christ in you. And this passage shows us that the wrath of man does not produce that righteousness in us. That should sober all of us. Let me give you some helps as we close. These are the applications. I have 12. I'm going to try to get through all of them. Excuse me if I'm moving quickly. By the way, this is not for adults. It's just for, it's for senior hires, junior hires, grade schoolers. You can all benefit. These are some of the things that I have learned over time that have been helpful Uh, from scripture as we've applied them Uh, first of all own your sin remember that trials and difficult people do not make you anger angry they expose your anger i used to i've given that example i think from the pulpit before that my senior high class in florida uh, i wouldn't let the kids say my parents made me so angry today i'd say no that's not accurate that's not truthful what are you supposed to say my parents exposed my anger today okay good and then and then they wouldn't want to say anymore. They say, forget it. You don't. You know, they're, they're trying to blame their parents, trying to get everybody to side with them against their parents. And I say, no, your anger is yours. We need to own our sin. Mark 7 talks about what comes out of a, uh, what comes out of a man that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, covetousness wickedness, deceit, lawlessness. 
lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within the man. Nobody's producing these in you. So don't blame your circumstances or another person for your sin. It is not becoming of a Christian to transfer, externalize, minimize, or excuse their sin or their guilt. Own it. You'll be much happier, by the way, if you do. It's an amazing thing. Trying to cover things up and excuse them is a lot of work. If you just say, it was my fault, I lost my temper, I was wrong, I chose to get angry and to attack you, and that was the wrong thing to do. That is so freeing, just to say it. Now you're done. Ask for forgiveness, you're done. Second, remember the sanctification is synergistic. It requires you to engage your will to obey the Lord and honor him. We've talked about that with each one of the fruit of the Spirit. That means you need to engage in the process of your sanctification. And this includes in regards to your patience. Philippians 2, 12 to 15 captures these two together very well. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We see both of these happenings. Again, so we're not just talking about a human effort to just, you know, buckle up and try to be really tough and push through it. We're doing this in the context of understanding God's work in our lives, God's working in us to do his good pleasure, to conform us to Christ. At the same time, we're engaging in how we think, how we talk, how we act, what we do with our bodies. Our thoughts, words, and deeds need to conform to the image of Christ. And as we do, we see the Lord will give us uh, success over these. Third, remember that your free will is intact. Too often people act as if their sinful response was a necessary and uncontrollable response to a situation. But I want to remind you that your free will was not suspended when you were presented to the circumstances. It's good to remind yourself of this. When people say, well, I just couldn't help, I just... No, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You have a free will. If you're a Christian, you now have a sanctified free will where God has given you that ability to say no to these things. And that goes and rolls into number four, recall the power of the Holy Spirit over sin. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You are not powerless to confront temptation and to win over it or the trials. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that you have to say no to sin. That is an amazing thought. Romans 6.17, God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. In Ephesians 1.19, again, showing the resurrection nature of the power. What is that exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places? So that same, again, the resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that's in you and gives you the power to say no in these situations. Number five, remember the current benefits. How do you benefit currently from uh, your patience? Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. By the way, notice it says those who wait in the Lord, not those who uh, uh, want a change of circumstances. You know, I'm just going to wait for the circumstances to change. No, just you wait on the Lord because the circumstances are his providential outworking of his plan. Romans 2, 5 to 7 
speaks of God who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. You see the benefits that come, temporal as well as eternal. Lamentations, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. James 1, 2 to 4, again, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That testing of your faith produces patience. So in all these, remember the benefits that come, let alone the damage that's caused when you don't. You know, whether it's your kids around you or some neighbor who's the recipient of your ire, and think of the effects that that has, the negative effects. Think of the benefits that come by withholding uh, your impatience, by uh, responding patiently. Six, think about eternity and work backwards. In Psalm 73, I love the passage where it talks about how he was beginning to uh, envy and, and covet the unbelievers and look and saying they have everything they're partying there doesn't seem to be any consequences I try to do the right thing and yet it's so hard for me I don't get it and then he says until I went to the sanctuary of God then I understood their end <clears throat> surely you've set them in slippery places you cast them down to destruction oh how they are brought to desolation is in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors so looking at the long term what are we trying to get to And in light of what the long-term implications of this are, live now in light of that. I I love the passage in 2 Peter. We covered this when he went through 2 Peter a number of years ago. But Peter writes, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, speaking of the heavens and the earth, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? He said that all of these things will end one day. Is it that important that you get to Walmart one minute earlier? In light of, all this is going to (laughs) melt. So in light of that, think about how important this thing is right now. Seven. Remember that impatience is not a sign of strength but of weakness. Uh, Perhaps that's convicting. To me, that's very convicting. Proverbs 14, 29, he who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Proverbs 25, 28, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. How would you like to be described that way? If you have a constant problem of losing your temper, of of getting angry, it says you're like a city with broken down walls. Ecclesiastes, do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. What's the better way? Proverbs 16.32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Would you not like that said of you? So remember, impatience is not a sign of strength. When you think of people who get real impatient in their you know, they're tensing up, their muscles are tense, they get that angry look, and it's like, look how strong and look how mean I am. We need to interpret that differently. Say, that's not strength, that's weakness. It's pathetic. Number eight, think of your responsibility versus the violation of your rights. <clears throat> I've said before, and I'll say it again many times, teach people they have responsibility, you'll have revival. Teach them they have rights, you'll have rebellion. Uh, this has been so driven into our minds in the West about our rights, our rights, our rights, our rights. And what's happening with people? They're insisting on their rights all the time. I have a right to 
and education. I have a right to an income. I have a right to a house. I have a right to, and they speak of this all the time. And when these things are not forthcoming, what do they do? They get impatient. They get angry. It's not fair. It's not right. Instead, we should think in terms of our responsibility. Something happens, and instead of saying, I have a right, well, let's use my Walmart example. I don't know why I keep picking the Walmart example. Uh, I guess I know somebody who has that struggle. Going to Walmart and somebody cuts you off, and the first response is, I have a right to not have this person cut in front of me. What have I thought of in responsibility? I have a responsibility to slow down and graciously allow them to, to drive in. Takes away the problem. We see this example, this in Jonah. The book of Jonah gives us that, <clears throat> the time in chapter 4 where God, Jonah asks God to take his life because he's so upset about the repentance of the Ninevites. And God asks him, do you have a right to be angry? <laughs> what a great question. Do you have a right to be angry, Jonah? Uh, God then raises up a plant to provide shade for Jonah, but then he sends a worm to destroy the plant. And again, Jonah gets angry. He wants to die. God asks him again, do you have a right to be angry? God's point is that Jonah is more upset about having his, <clears throat> not having his shade than he is about the souls of 600,000 people. <clears throat> when you evaluate your situation, are you weighing the situation in light of God's plan and providence and priorities or in terms of your rights? Nine, reflect on the sovereignty of God. This is a big one. I won't develop it too much further, but in Westminster Confessionals, remember what we're told God from all eternity did by most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. The question I often ask when I have people in marital counseling, uh, and, this, this, you know, and the, the hands are like this, so I see the he and she, and this goes on and on, and I say, as long as your hands are doing that, we're not going to get anywhere. The progress has stopped. And it's got to point at yourself and say, here's where I'm failing. Here's where I need help. Uh, but one of the things I'll ask in there is to, I'll say, why did it, why is it that God providentially ordained that man in your life? What is he doing? Why did God providentially ordain that wife for you? What is he doing? This is not by accident. It was part of God's decree and providence that that person is in your life. <clears throat> and so we want to ask, why did God do that? This is his sovereign work in your life to accomplish his goal for you. So rather than uh, interpreting the situation in light of what you want and what you think should be, interpret it in light of what God is doing for you in it. Uh, one person described this as transforming the irritation by interpreting it correctly. A good example, uh, again, I think I've probably given this from the pulpit, forgive me if I have, but uh, one is uh, the example of the person, the man, for example, who said that his wife kept live, leaving the hangers in the door, and every time he'd open the bedroom door, they'd get clang, 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 and he got tired of it. And he'd say, would you please stop putting the hangers on the door? And she would forget. As soon as she forgot, and she would leave the hangers in the door, he'd come in, clang, clang, clang. And, and one time he finally said, you know what, I am approaching this thing totally wrong. I need to transform the irritation. So from now on, when I hear the hangers banging, I'm going to remind, that will be my chime calling me to prayer for my wife and thanking the Lord for her. The weird thing about this is you think, that's the simplest solution to the problem, and it actually works phenomenally well because you're understanding God's providence and how you should respond to it. Uh, 
I've seen this happen in my own life, where I've, I've transformed the irritation. I've changed the way I think about it. Instead of it being an irritation, I think, no, this is a prompting to worship, a prompting to prayer, a prompting to whatever it is. And it's, it feels very weird because you go, wow, that just went away. That problem just disappeared. And we're not used to that. Uh, but it can happen. Reflecting on God's sovereignty in that uh, way can, can change the whole situation. Uh, number 10, ask for forgiveness when you lose your temper. Confessing your sin and humbly repenting of it before others has a way of making you think twice. You ever notice that? You know, if you, ever had, if you have it, you probably will. There'll be a time in your life where you're, you're ready just to let go, and you think, if I do this, I'm going to have to repent later. It's not worth it. <clears throat> it's hard to repent. It takes humility. And so if you can foresee that, you know, that that's going to be part of the situation, that can be a prompting and a motivator to say, you know what, I need to hold back here. Uh, even so, though, you do need to ask for forgiveness when you do lose your temper. We read about this in Matthew 5, 23. If you bring a gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, go your way, be reconciled to your brother, and then come offer your gift. It's a high priority in uh, our Christian worldview to ask for forgiveness and to right wrongs, even before worship. <clears throat> Number 11, anticipate the temptation and habitualize success. Anticipate the temptation and habitualize success. When you know that you have times that you consistently lose your patience, if you can take the time to proactively anticipate it, you might be able to, um, to prevent it from happening. For example, for me, it's driving. I get frustrated when I drive. I get angry when I drive. Uh, and <clears throat> uh, what I found, though, is if I do take the time before I get in the car, it's okay, I'm getting in the car and go somewhere, I will probably have some situations that will make me angry. So let me determine right now before I go into that situation to, to reflect godliness and to think through how I'm going to uh, respond in terms of my responsibility instead of my rights. Maybe for you it's when I go to my in-laws. Maybe it's when I go to work and I've got that worker who's anticipate that. Think, okay, before I go in there and just wait for it to happen, I'm going to anticipate this is a situation in which I have a struggle. I'm going to pray. I'm going to kind of visualize what's going to happen, and I'm going to ask the Lord for his help to prepare for it. And then once you had that victory, do it again and do it again and do it again. Make that a habit for you. And then you see that the Lord will give you that success over that uh, particular circumstance. Finally, practice thankfulness. Unthankfulness is a mark of the unbeliever. <clears throat> We're told in Romans 121, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. Uh, this is the two, two of the uh, attributes of an unbeliever. They don't glorify God and they're not thankful people. And as a result, they become futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Rather than getting angry, use the occasion to thank the Lord for his continued work of conforming you to the image of Christ. Ephesians 5, 19 to 20, we're told to speak to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a continual thankful spirit, you'll find it's a great means of driving away anger. Rather than focusing on what you're lacking, you're, you're thanking the Lord for the things that you do have and for his work. In, in all of these suggestions, let's not, not lose sight of the Lord Jesus, who demonstrated for us perfect 
patience in the face of affliction and injustice. And we honor him when we follow in his steps and we practice self-control and patience in similar circumstances. Uh, These demonstrations of the work of the Spirit in God in us are one of the best apologetics we have for the reality and the truth of the Christian worldview. And so it behooves us to desire to to, uh, be like our Lord in these situations and to uh, demonstrate patience. I pray then that the Lord will continue to work in all of us here, patience, which so marks him as our merciful Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have been so patient with us, and we pray as we stop and reflect on that this evening that we too would desire that character quality, that work of the Spirit in us. Help us, Father, to look at our situations more carefully, circumspectly, to preempt these occasions where we would lose our temper and instead to endeavor to live like Christ and to respond in a way that would bring glory to our Savior and that would